I want to welcome you to Providence Road this morning. If you're a, a guest with us, we're really glad that you're here this morning. As you can see, things are already a little different this morning. Um, and uh, we're not going to be doing meet and greet today uh, just because of the way we've done things. So if you normally, if you're a kiddo and you normally head back to the back, this is the time to do that. So go ahead and get up and, and uh, head back. I'm going to pray in a little bit. So feel free to wander around if you need to while I pray, um, if that's what needs to happen. But I'm going to pray, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into the sermon. God, I pray as we come to this place to remember and recognize the birth of your son, the Savior, the Messiah, the one who brings hope and peace and love and joy and comfort. And I pray for the next 45 minutes to an hour, I just pray that our hearts and our minds would be centered on you, that as we open your word, that you would speak to us, you would change your minds and change your hearts and change the way we would live during this Christmas season, all as a result of who your son was and what he did on our behalf. I pray you're with us during this time and help us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So last week, I'm, I'm Jeremy, by the way. I'm one of the pastors at the, at the church. I uh, didn't do that to begin with. Um, we started our Advent series last week. Um, we're going through the book of Isaiah, chapter 9. And Advent simply means arrival. Simply means arrival. And this is the time of year where we celebrate and we remember the first arrival of Jesus. And as, you, as I mentioned, things are a little different this morning. Kids led us in worship songs, which was awesome. Um, Noah and Graham Schill, thank you for um, reading the scripture this morning. And now as we move into the sermon time, this is going to be a little bit different as well. It's going to be a little different. Um, last week we looked, I'll get to that here in a second. Last week, though, we looked at um, really the context of Isaiah 9 in the beginning of that chapter and really uh, focused in on what were the um, Israelites, God's people, thinking when Isaiah the prophet stood up and um, shared Isaiah 9 with them. What was happening? What was the background when they, uh, when, they were, when they heard this news about Jesus being born? And then we're going to move along today in, in chapter 9 and, and look at, begin looking at these four names of Jesus found in verse 6. So I want to read Isaiah 9, verse 2 and verse 6 now. Verse 2 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of peace. There's so much truth and meaning wrapped up in these four names. Like the, the whole Christmas season can be summed up just by walking through these four names. There is so much packed into these titles given to Jesus. So here's how we're going to structure this the next two weeks. Today we're going to take care, look at two of these, and then next week we're going to take care of the other two. Okay, so two this week, two next week. And because we're doing it that way, we're going to break the sermon up into two parts today. So here's what this is going to look like. Um, the first 15 minutes or so, we're going to look at mighty God. And then we're going to stop and we're going to sing. We're going to respond to God's word, respond to this idea that he is mighty God. And I'm going to come back up and it's going to be part two of the sermon. For those 15 minutes or so, we're going to look at the phrase Prince of Peace. Now we're going to respond again through song and then, and then in communion, and we'll wrap up with some um, announcements. And we know this is a break from the norm, and we're doing this intentionally. First of all, just this, this time of year should be a little different. We should focus a little bit more um, intensely on Jesus during this time of year. And also, if you're kind of ready for Christmas, I think maybe some of us come in here and um, you see the decorations, you know we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus, we're going to sing some Christmas songs, and we're going to go home. And you can kind of, if you're not careful, go through the motions this Christmas season. So we hope by structuring this a little different today that it will make you a little uncomfortable, but it'll be un uncomfortable in a really healthy way. And hopefully it gets our attention focused on Jesus even more. 
So let's look at Isaiah 9, 6. I'm going to read this verse again. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, gives us four names here for Jesus. Okay, four titles. And names still mean something today. When, we, when, you, when you're named or you name, name a baby, um, usually there's some meaning attached, some deeper than others. But um, back in the biblical times, a name meant everything. There was so much wrapped up in a name. So we have to remember when God's people heard this in Isaiah's time, they heard these names, they would have been like hanging on every word that Isaiah said, knowing that these are actually titles, these are, these are names given to this child that Isaiah is speaking of. Okay, so that's part of the context we have to remember. And also notice Isaiah in the beginning of verse 6, he mentions child. He says son, but he also says child. And this is something that is common in Isaiah's book as well. He refers to Jesus as a child, a baby, um, often in his book. And so he, he's really wanting them and us to understand that this is, this is going to be a child. I'm talking about this baby that would be born. And he, he's also obviously saying that this child's going to be the Messiah. And so when God's people heard this, um, they thought, yes, a Savior, a Messiah is coming. He's going to rescue us. But the, w- the way he frames it, he wants them to understand that God is not going to save them by bringing more war, by be- bringing more violence, more oppression. God is not going to save his people this time around with military might. He's not going to do it. He's going to do it in a more subtle way. He's going to do it by sending a baby to do it. And so Isaiah wants them to understand this. This is why he returned to that idea of child very often. And then also we see that, that this, this baby is going to possess divine attributes. He's going to be God. Another popular verse we read at Christmas time is Isaiah 7, uh, verse 14. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that means God with us. Okay, so when this baby is born, God will be with us. So let's look at this first, this first name, Mighty God. First name we're going to go through today, Mighty God. Literally, this means in the literal, literal language, great hero. But the translators get this right by translating it Mighty God because every time that phrase is used in the scripture, it is referring to God. So when, it, when they say Mighty God, it is referring to God, but it can also be translated great hero. And as God's people would have heard this coming out of Isaiah's mouth, their jaws would have dropped. That this baby that would be coming would be mighty God. They were familiar with God. This is the, they have heard the stories passed down. This is the God that created everything. This is the God of Moses. This is the God of Noah and the flood. This is the, 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 the God of Jonah and the fish. This is the God, all these stories that had piled up in, in Israel's history. That's what they're thinking about. So they think, baby, like this mighty God, this savior of the world is coming as a baby? Are you kidding me? And Paul, a guy named Paul, a leader in the early church in the New Testament in this book called Colossians, says this in chapter 2, verse 9. He says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Then in the Gospel of John, John was a close friend of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, In the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus when he says Word there. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this God, this God who existed before anything was created, who with his hand hung the sun, put the stars and the planets in place, keeps our, our earth spinning on its, on its access and access in just the right way to keep life sustained on earth. The same God who designs the human body with all its intricacies. This God has come as a baby. He's taken human form. 
been born into this world just like any of us were born into this world. He was also a human, a human like none other. He was perfect. He was a teacher, a counselor, a healer. But what was mind-boggling about this, what we have to understand that what got Jesus killed ultimately was his claim about being God. Being God and that he could alone atone for God's for the sins and God's, God's wrath and God's punishment for human beings. That Jesus was saying, I can atone for sin. I am God. This is what ultimately got him killed. And so when we hear mighty God, we don't want to skip over this. This is the claim that Jesus is, in fact, God. And I think a lot of times this time of year when we think of the baby growing up to be God, like we think about it in that timeline. We think of this baby will eventually be a grown man who will die on the cross, raise three, come back from the dead three days later, ascend back to heaven, and he reigns as king. That's kind of the trajectory we see. But if we remember, if we go back to Isaiah, on that side of the birth of Jesus, they are taking this God, this huge transcendent God who created everything, who parted the sea, who, who kept his people alive, who has fought battles for him. This God is becoming a baby. And so it's, it's two different ways of looking at it, but I think the second way, thinking, no, we know God, we know his transcendence, we know his bigness, and he is coming to earth in our broken, messed up world and coming like any other human being would come. Like, if we think about that, that's, that's mysterious, one. That produces awe, that produces wonder, like allowing our minds to go to the character of God and then thinking about this baby is crying as he comes from Mary and is born. And that to me is the mystery that the Christmas produces and the wonder. And this is what distinguishes Christianity from every other religion or belief system in the world. Most other religions or belief systems will have a human being at the center of it who hears from God, maybe has a dream or a vision, and they gather other people around and say, this is how you get to God. Follow me, follow these rules, follow what, the, follow what God said. Most religions or uh, belief systems are, are set up that way. Or if there's not a human figure in the, cent the center of it, um, there's a list of rules or guidelines that help humans get to God that help humans get back into relationship with God, that help humans climb the ladder to God. And this is where Christianity is completely different. We don't have a, this, this great teacher or guru or expert who tells us to work really hard so God may accept us. The essence of Christianity is that God loved people. God so loved the world that he entered our broken and messed up world as a baby and lived as a human being in this world precisely because we couldn't save ourselves, because we can't get to God, because we can do nothing to reconcile ourselves back to God. So he came so that he can save those who would believe in him, who would have faith in him. So here's a question. What is functioning as mighty God in your life? Maybe you're looking to yourself, you're looking to yourself to save you, to give you worth or value or love. Maybe you're looking outside yourself, but it's not in Jesus, looking in something to, to give you love and value and worth and be your mighty God. But here's what I want you to ask of that God. Does that God put pressure back on you to accomplish something? Does that God put pressure back on you to be enlightened, to come up with the right answer? Or does that God take the pressure off of you and put it all on itself or himself or herself? This is Christianity. Takes all the pressure off us and puts it on him. Takes the weight that we have under our sin and puts it on him. He does what we can't do, save ourselves. So what do we do with this? This idea of mighty God. Will we respond? Will we respond? In the Bible, people who actually came into contact with Jesus, especially after he reveals who he is, being God, um, 
they don't react indifferently or mildly. They don't casually have these run-ins with Jesus and aren't changed. Once they realized who they were talking to, who they were encountering, it was, it was met with bow down, fall at your knees and worship or violent anger or they were scared of him or they were beyond words attracted to him and wanted to spend all their time with him. This is how people reacted when they encountered the living God in Jesus. Nobody simply says when they encounter Jesus in the scripture, he is so inspiring. He makes me want to live a better life. That's not the biblical view when people meet Jesus. Meaning we can't just sprinkle some Jesus on our lives that we've already built and call that Christianity. That's not what we do when someone claims to be mighty God. If Jesus is your savior, He's not added to your life. He becomes your life. He's not sprinkled on your life. He becomes your life. We serve him and honor him and follow him completely because he's God and he's given up everything to save us. So we're going to respond in singing. So as the band comes back up, in this place when we respond with singing, typically we respond in singing with for, for one of two reasons. One, we're preparing our hearts to sing. Like we're preparing ourselves. We're trying to focus on him after maybe a long week, week or a distracting week. Or we respond in singing based off of something coming out of God's word. We, hear, we see words on a screen. We hear truth preached. We hear truth about him. We hear the good news of the gospel and we want to respond and sing. So the way we're structuring this this morning, it gives us an opportunity to immediately respond in singing. So as you see these words on the screen, I want you to sing. I want you to think about those names of Jesus, especially mighty God, that this transcendent God became human so that he could die in the place of rebellious broken, sinful human beings that didn't deserve it. And what an act of mercy and grace that was. And because he's God, he deserves honor and praise. He deserves to be worshiped. So that's what we're going to do right now. So go ahead and stand. And Chris is going to lead us in a few songs. Mighty is our God. 
the world to see You are the God of victory You are mighty Your power and your majesty Come for all the world to see You are the God of victory You are mighty oh, Mighty is our God There is no one beside you Worthy is your name But there is no other like you You broke our chains Set us free, now your children rise and sing.
that third verse again, a day of glory when Jesus calls us home. A day of glory when Jesus calls us home. Our glorious King eternal, returning for His own. So let angels shout the triumph as The King of Kings is born. Oh, the King of Kings is born. You may be seated. So, Prince of Peace, let's read that Isaiah 9 6 again because repetition is good. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what does this mean, Prince of Peace? This kind of grand title for Jesus. Well, you have Prince, which obviously communicates authority. There's royalty. It's a, it's a governmental uh, term. It's a political term. The, the, the beginning of verse 6, or uh, the middle of verse 6, I should say, the government will be upon his shoulder confirms this. It kind of echoes this, this idea of prince and peace. But, so this, that's prince, but w- what about this peace, right? So in Isaiah's time, if you just read up until that time in the Old Testament and know some background, there's not a lot of peace surrounding God's people in that time period. And we know in our world, if we read that in, into our context, there is not, there's, there's a measure of peace, but we, we turn on the news or Look at the news on our phone, and, and we see that there's, there's violence, there's, there's, there's war and rumors of war and these kinds of things all around us. I think if we were being honest, uh, we would also say there, in, in all of us, there are parts of us deep down inside that we don't have peace. That we have conflict. There's fear and anxiety, sadness, bitterness and anger, unforgiveness. There's a lack of peace in the world and a lack of peace inside us. So what is the answer? If, if Jesus is the Prince of Peace, what, is this, what does this mean? And oftentimes this time of year comes around and we start um, singing songs and observing traditions. And I, I feel like sometimes we look for the answer for the lack of peace in nostalgia or pleasant memories from our past, or even consumption of just everything around us that'll maybe, that'll medicate us just for a little bit from the turmoil inside of us, or make make us numb to what's going on outside of us and so we can just forget about the lack of peace in the world. This is, I think, what the common culture tells us during this time of year. I was driving in my car this week, and this was on my mind, and I was listening to uh, the radio and a Christmas song came on and, and I liked, I really liked this song. It, it's have yourself a merry little Christmas. Um, and a verse of this song, it, I was listening to the world's words even closer because I was thinking about this. And this is the verse it says, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light from now on. Your troubles will be out of sight. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't sing this song. That's a nice, that's a nice song, but let's be honest. Let's, just embracing the Christmas holiday for all it is and all the culture throws at us will probably not lead to more peace inside of us, especially those deep down places. And if it does, it, it, it may, you know, be a, a shot in the arm and, and, and you may get till mid-January, but all of this stuff that we celebrate now will, will go away. All the cultural aspects of it will go away in January and it'll be kind of back to normal. And we, we know singing lines like that and just embracing Christmas for all it is probably won't um, be the answer to peace worldwide. Let's look at another lyrics to another song. Hark the herald angels sing. One of the verses goes like this. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth. There's a peace idea there. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God 
and sinners reconciled. So now I think we're starting to get at what this idea of Prince of Peace means. This, this idea of Prince of Peace and God and sinners reconciled is, is this song echoing what Paul, that leader in the early church that I mentioned earlier, who wrote this book called Colossians, what he writes in Romans, specifically chapter 5, verse 8, says this, that God shows his love for us in that, this is how God loves us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Paul is talking here to the church, so he's talking to people who have placed their belief and faith in him. That's who the us is there. And Jesus, so Jesus, when Jesus comes this time of year, he brings more than just nostalgia. He brings more than just pleasant memories. Those things are good. Those things are okay. But without the foundation of Jesus as Savior, those things can become, I think, um, they, 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 they come up empty on their promises that we often take them at. And Jesus brings peace between God and man. But this peace is conditional. It's conditional. Let's look at Luke 2.14. And this is uh, one of the verses in the passage that uh, the Shill boys read earlier up here. It's a common passage we read during this time of year. Verse 14 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace. Okay, so we have that idea of peace there. Among those with whom he is well pleased. So it's not peace necessarily for everybody. It's peace, peace with whom he is well pleased pleased. This peace is exclusive. The peace is for those whom he is well pleased with. So what does this mean? If you continue on in Romans 5, the passage we read just a second ago in verse 10, Paul says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. This is the key verse. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Or to say it another way, whom we've received peace with God through. So it is, it is through Jesus, through faith and belief in Jesus, is how we come to have peace with God. And how God becomes pleased with us. He's, he's pleased with us because of what Jesus did. Lived the perfect life. We could not have lived and died a death we deserve to die. And rose three days later and ascended back to heaven and now is reigning um, next to the Father in heaven. This, this peace comes through faith in Jesus. That is how we get true everlasting peace. But if we just stopped it there and said, let's go home, how many of us struggle to actually live this out? How many of us in this room actually struggle to live out this lifestyle of peace? Walk in peace because we've been made right with God. It's a little bit easier said than done. And we're all prone to looking for peace in the wrong places, especially this time of year. This, this time of year offers a lot um, at our fingertips that we can grab at that potentially promise us peace. So that's what we think we're going to get from it. There was an uh, occasion in, G, in, in Jesus' time when he was doing his ministry um, he's walking around doing ministry, and he comes to the, this home of these two sisters that he knows, he knew really well, named Mary and Martha. Comes into Mary and Martha's house, um, and here's what happens. This is Luke 10, 38 through 42. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a, so you have Martha there, and, then you, and, a, and she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. So you have Martha playing welcome person, hey, I'm hospitable, welcoming Jesus in. But then Jesus comes in and sits down, and Mary immediately drops to her knees in a position of humility, in a position of learning, and is, is, it seems like she's just hanging on every word that Jesus says. And then let's see what Martha's doing. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. She was distracted with serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Tell her to get up, Jesus. You're powerful. Tell her to get up and come help me. That's what Jesus says to her. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Does that describe anybody in this room? I know it describes me anxious and troubled about many things. 
And I've received the peace that Christ offers. I've been reconciled to God, yet it is so hard for me to experience this complete peace where there's no anxiety. There's no trouble. I'm not thinking you have no, no fear at all. And Jesus says, verse 42, but one thing is necessary. One thing. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. So I think we've, even though we've placed our faith in him, much of us, we've placed, we believe in him, we trust him, we are still busy trying to find peace outside of him. And many of us are like Martha. We're not busy with bad things. Martha was serving. Martha was hospitable. Martha was cooking. And Martha was probably cleaning the house and getting everything ready for the special guest. And Jesus says, seems to be saying to her that resting and being with Jesus, being present with Jesus, is better than doing things for Jesus. And I think he would at least say the first should precede the second. So are we, do we feel Jesus' nearness through his spirit for those who believe? Do we commune with him? Do we spend time with him? Do we feel him near to us? Or are we just busy with frantic activity? Some of it may be unhelpful, but some of it may be okay, like serving and doing good things for Jesus. But if that's not preceded by a heart that is content and restful and knows what it's like to be with Jesus, I think Jesus would say, you're going to be troubled and you're going to be anxious about many things, like Martha was. Listen to this quote. I think it captures well um, this idea of peace, especially this time of year. It's from uh, Fleming Rutledge's book called Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ. This is a great quote. In these stress-filled times, virtually all of us, as we get older, will seek relief by visiting in our imaginations a childhood Christmas of impossible perfection. These longings are powerful and can easily deceive us into grasping for a new toy, a new car, a new house, a new spouse to fill up the empty spaces where unconditional love belongs. Our longings are powerful. Our needs are bottomless. Our cravings are insatiable. Our follies are numberless. For those who cannot or will not look deeply into the human condition, sentiment and nostalgia can masquerade as strategies for, cope, for coping quite successfully for a while. But because it is all based on illusion and unreality, it cannot be a lasting foundation for generations to come. The real meaning of Christmas lies precisely in the combination of magical ceremonies, things we're doing here, traditions that focus our minds on Jesus, I think that's what he's saying there, and the grown-up message that in the very midst of our human selfishness, and I love this, the waylaying love of God, waylaying love of God has broken through to us unconditionally. Just a powerful quote. It sums up, I think, our tendencies and our, our tendencies to stress and be anxious this time of year where we're celebrating the Prince of Peace who has reconciled those who have faith in Jesus back to God. It's taken away our punishment, taken away the wrath that God has for us, which is the greatest news that we could ever hear. This is the greatest gift that we could ever be given. Normally here we would go straight into communion, um, but today as the band comes back up, we're going to respond once again with a song first. Through singing. And the chorus to the song we are about to sing goes like this. So wonderful, so beautiful, so kind and lovely, isn't he, isn't he? Beyond compare, treasure rich and rare, marvelous and holy, isn't he, isn't he? Jesus is a prince and a king who has shown us much love. And that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. This king, this prince, died for people who did not deserve it and who could not save themselves. So if there ever was a king to be honored and praised and worshiped and sung to, it is Jesus. He is that prince and that king. So let's take some time, stand up with your voices, sing, sing the lyrics to this song, remember the Prince of Peace, and I'll be back up in a second to lead us into communion.
into our time of communion, I just want us to give you a couple of handles to, to be thinking about, to grab onto during this time. We haven't really talked about it today, but there will be another Advent. You know, we celebrate Christmas. Normally we focus on the first Advent, Jesus' birth. There will, be, there will come a second Advent when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom and, and, uh, and, and reign on earth. And that day is coming. So we're now in this already but not yet uh, season of waiting. And we should long and wait patiently, but we should long for that. 
we should want Jesus to return the same way God's people wanted Jesus to come the first time. And with that Prince of Peace idea, the next time that Jesus comes, he's going to come um, as a judge. He's going to make war against evil and sin. And he's going to put all crying, remove crying, remove pain, remove violence. He will have the last word when he returns the second time. So as we remember the first advent, we need to remember the second advent. So if you're a follower of Jesus in here, when we give you some space here in a couple of minutes, just to of, of, of calm and, and quiet, Maybe you need to think about mighty God today. Maybe you're tired of fighting your own battles, tired of trying to make yourself look good for God, tired of performing so that he might love you. He's, if you're in Christ and you have faith in him, he's taking care of it. He's mighty God who takes away your sin. So let him be mighty God and just rest, just collapse in his lap as a father who is God and can take care of you. Maybe you need to focus on Prince of Peace. Maybe when I threw out fear and anxiety and worry and tension, that was you. He has come so that you can have peace in your heart. You can have it, but you need to deal with that stuff with him. Confess it, talk to him about it wrestle with it and this we're giving you this time and this place to be able to wrestle with those things that aren't giving you peace he wants those things you're in relationship if you have faith in him so trust him that he can take those things give those things to him maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and something that was said today something about him being savior that, that resonated with you Maybe you have faith and you believe that Jesus died in your place and he took God's wrath and God's judgment away and he took that upon himself, removing that from you. And if you believe that, then that is what saves you. Maybe you've never taken communion before. If that is you, please take communion and please tell somebody that you have faith in, in this Jesus as Savior you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're still thinking and processing, that's okay. We want this to be a safe place for you to do that. But I will say with Christmas comes this, again, this, this thinking about the second coming. And when he comes the second time, he'll come in judgment. And those who have faith and love and honor his son will spend eternity in this new heavens and new earth. And those who don't love his son don't believe in his son, don't believe he did the things he said he did and the Bible says he did, there will be not just separation here on earth that you have now, but there will be eternal separation. So I just want to lay that out before you. So there is, there is a kind of a clock ticking on this, but you don't have to make a decision today, but we want you to wrestle with this. We want you to think about these things. And I'd love to take you out for coffee or a meal or something just to talk and to process these things. Maybe you don't agree with anything I said. That's okay. I want to get to know you. I want to talk about this. Talk about this maybe with somebody who brought you or somebody that you know here. Okay, so um, Jesus took this bread that represented his body. He said, this is my body broken for you. This, is, this cup represents the blood that would be shed for you. Cover past, present, and future sins if you believe in him. And he said, continue to do this until I come back. Right? Like, we don't need the communion anymore once Jesus returns, because he'll be with us. But, so if you're a follower of Jesus, let, coming forward to take communion, let that be a reminder that this is temporary until he gets back. It'll help you long for his return, even when you're taking his elements and doing communion. That is a reminder of the grace and mercy which you've been shown. And we have some guests here today. Here's the way we do community. We have two stations up here, two stations in the back. And we'll have people serving you the communion. We'll tear off a piece of bread and hand it to you. And you can dip it in um, the cup. And if you, if you prefer not to have normal bread, we do have gluten-free bread as well. So you can take one of those pieces and dip it in 
um, the cup as well. Um, so just so there's no confusion. So two, two lines will be forming up here and two lines will be forming in the back. But take a few moments, think, process, wrestle wherever you're at um, with God.